Throughout my adult life, my focus has been on making the world a more beautiful place. Initially, I pursued this goal as a hairstylist, working on the external appearance of individuals to make them feel more beautiful. However, I wanted more, so I began to shift my focus to helping people make better choices and achieve greater beauty from within. As a transformational life coach, I specialize in helping you identify and change the limiting beliefs that may be holding you back. Join me each week as we discuss, interview, teach, and explore the fundamental principles of healthy relationships. Welcome to Conscious Conversations with Louisa. In today's episode of Conscious Conversations with Louisa, I'm speaking with Jeff Hoffman. Hello, 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 everyone. Welcome to Conscious Conversations with Louisa. Today, we have a super special treat for you. I get to introduce you to my mentor, my friend, a remarkable human being on this planet, Mr. Jeff Hoffman. He is a recognized global entrepreneur, a successful CEO, a motivational speaker, a best-selling author, a Hollywood film producer, creator of Grammy-winning jazz album, and the executive producer of an award-winning television program. He has founded numerous startup businesses, including Priceline.com, Booking.com, UBID.com, and he has held numerous senior executive positions in both public and private sectors. I am so honored and so grateful to have him on with us today. Please welcome Mr. Jeff Hoffman. Louisa, now it's all downhill from here. You shouldn't have done an intro. There, there's no way. I literally, if I actually could get through <laughs> being able to like have all of the things you've done, we would be here till next week. You have done so well, much. Thank- I would be really reading off everything you've done till next week. Well, thank you guys for having me tonight. We're so excited. I, I truly can't, I don't know where to start because you've done so much. I just hope you have the next couple of weeks to be on Zoom with us. <laughs> <laughs> well, I sure, as I told you before, I, I really like the interactive part. So I'm glad we get to do this. I do also. I, some of these things that I speak at, like I recently uh, spoke at an event that was in Cairo, Egypt, and it was 7,000 people. And you're so disconnected standing on a stage like that. You can't talk to anybody, you can't connect with them or communicate. So this is a lot more fun being able to actually connect and talk to you guys tonight. So let's just jump right into it. Let's just jump right in. I, You know, one of the things that I really loved about your story is where you began as, as a child. What was your life like? A single mom who had four kids and three jobs in the middle of nowhere, pretty much the earth in the desert. And, you know, watching my mom struggle all the time. Interestingly, though, to my mom's credit, my sister said relatively recently, she said, you know what? We didn't even know we were poor, which is actually excuse me, a good tribute to my mom that that's not what the, her value set was. It didn't really occur to us all the things we didn't have. And because my mom just didn't focus on that. But that's the environment I grew up with. We were in the middle of nowhere. Mom works multiple jobs to try to raise four kids. And so I had a role model of, of someone that was super hardworking and just did what, what she had to do to get things done. But that was the start. 
you know, I'm a single mom of two kids too. So I totally understand what it was like. But one of the things that I find, I I know when I initially had my children, I'm like, I'm going to work really hard when they're young. And when they are older, I'll have enough money to be there with them. And then what happened is I didn't plan for getting divorced and starting all over when they got older. So one of the things that I love that you do is you really encourage and inspire the youth to, to take action. And what I've actually invited some children to be or teenagers to be in here tonight. I decided instead of doing this on my own, I'm going to enroll my children in what I'm doing so we could do this part of our life together. Would that have helped you growing up or what was, what is it that you do in how you encourage children to take action right now? Well, you know, it's a really good question, especially for entrepreneurs. Because in the entrepreneurial lifestyle, right, the sacrifices are big. Nobody can be everything. There is no actual super mom that's also a a super everything. None of us can do that. So, you know, we talk about the mythical balance, right, of a parent, a relationship, a friend, a son, a daughter, a CEO, an entrepreneur trying to be all those things. It's a myth, right? You're never going to achieve balance. But the big secret to that is stop trying. Stop holding yourself up to some perfect ideal that no one's ever going to achieve anyway and realize that when you're trying your best, that's probably pretty darn good. Uh, And so part of that, to get back to your question, you just have to give yourself permission to just do your best and not try to be someone or something that's impossible or that somebody else is. Just do your best. That's pretty good. And when the people around you recognize that, it changes everything. So let me let me answer your question about kids because I remember sort of two quick incidents with the uh, with my daughter. When you're an entrepreneur and you're working a lot and you're not home a lot, right? And 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 you're sacrificing. And a big piece of what's important is they don't understand why. They, the people that are around you, especially children, only see what you're doing, and they don't know why. So the message in that is work's more important than me. All you care about is work. That's all you ever do. They don't really understand that they're the why or any part about that. And I one day was sitting with my daughter at a diner um, and I was apologizing for being gone a lot, right? And working so much and missing more things than I would if I had a nine to five job. My daughter stopped me. She was little. And she said, I have some questions for you. I said, okay. She said, what's my favorite song? And I knew the answer to that, right? And she said, what's my favorite color? And she said, what book do I, you need to read to me if I, to calm me down at night? And she said, what do I like to do when I'm sad? And she, I said, Carol, why are you asking me all these questions? And she said, answer them. And I answered them. And she said, you knew the answer to every one of those questions. And I said, and? She said, I have friends whose parents are home every single night and every weekend, and they couldn't answer any of those questions. She said, being a parent isn't about quantity, it's about quality. It's about what you do when we are actually together. How engaged are you? And it really stuck me because the next day I asked some people I, that I know to some of those questions, and I didn't say a word, but most of them couldn't answer very many of the questions. So my own child had to say to me, the quality of our relationship is way more. She said, I know people that are afraid of their father and they see him every day. They have no relationship. They didn't even speak to him. 
She said, when you're here, I get all of you and you're all in and engaged. She said, that's what matters the most. So I wanted to talk about that first, Lisa, because that's that's the struggle that we all have. Is that if your kids understand why you do what you do and they understand that when they do get you, they get all of you, you can actually make these pieces work. Now, let me just say one more thing about the why part. I was the chairman of a something called the American Association of Adapted Sports, and we created when you think of wheelchair sports, you think of like wheelchair basketball, which is great if you have arms and can use them. And if you have eyes and you're not blind, but what about the most severely disabled children? They don't get to do anything. So we created a sports league where we created, a, we modified sports so every child could play. It's a softball game. And when there's a child that in a wheelchair, but his arms work, we felt give him a softball bat and a baseball. The next child, this is an actual real story. The next child, she couldn't move her arms or her legs, totally paralyzed from the next down. So we toss her a beach ball and she bumps it with her head and wheels down at first. The third child was blind. So we switched to a beeper ball and a beeper bat so that she can play. And I brought my daughter out there one day and uh, her job was to push kids in wheelchairs down to first base. And she was having the time of her life. And later she said, these wheelchairs are really cool. They go in dirt and grass. I said, yeah, they're sport wheelchairs. And she said, where did they get them? Everybody has them. I said, well, actually, I bought them for 200 kids in the city. And she said, wait, you bought all these wheelchairs? I said, yes. She paused and she said, is that why you work so hard? I said, absolutely. I said, if I didn't work as hard as I did, none of these kids have a chance at this life. And it was a long pause. And she said, carry on. I said, what? And she said, in fact, if you ever need my help, I'll come up to the office and help. She said, I, I get it now. It makes sense. So engaging your children in the why of what you do, right, and, and making sure that you have the quality of time. And then the last piece is just allowing, you know, Louisa, my TED Talk is called The Power of Childlike Wonder, is to encourage your children to ask millions of questions and wonder about everything and don't stop them because it's a, quote, stupid question. Don't say things like, who cares? Why do you need to know that? I, I learned over time to stop and say, it's an interesting question. Let's go look it up. Allowing them the freedom to ask things that make no sense to you is the only way they have a chance to grow. Quit putting it in your scope and your vision and saying, I don't know why that matters, so I'm not going to answer that. Don't judge. Let the kids learn on their own and grow on their own. So those are the <laughs> lessons I've learned the hard way over a long period of time. Well, I have to say, you're like that with I believe everyone in your life because you've been like that with me. I have asked a million questions and you have <laughs> answered them. And I'm so grateful for that because how many people really are like able to see a human being and and really let them know that they matter. And that what that is one of your ultimate skill sets is you can't help but level up being in your space because of the the safety. I feel just asking a question. One of the things that we were talking about that we never got to finish is I remember you saying, by the time you get here, you, you identify things in people that allow them to be successful. And then we never got to finish. What were those things? So what are the things that you've noticed in people that allow them to be successful? Well, you just hit on a really big one. I learned over a period of time about leadership, right? Because everybody on this call is in, in, is 
a leader in some form in their worlds. And, uh, you know, if you were to ask a young child, in fact, I remember this one time because my daughter asking me, are you the boss at work? I said, yeah, why? She said, what do you do all day? I said, what do you think I do all day? She said, the boss just walks around and tells everybody else what to do. Well, that's the conventional vision of leadership. I'm the CEO. I'm supposed to know the answers. I'm supposed to tell people what to do. But here's the lesson that you learn, that real leaders don't create followers. Real leaders create other leaders. And when my job shifted to spending all my time trying to raise people past me and find people smarter than me and hope that they achieve more than me, that's when I started winning. It's not about you. It was never about you. The fact that you are the boss is a myth. You're still only good at one thing. I seriously have never met, hired an engineer who also did my taxes and wrote all my marketing copy. He's an engineer. A tax person does my taxes. Marketing people do marketing. So why do you, just because you own the company, think you can do all seven of those things? Are you kidding me? But that is the, that is the, the myth that we live under frequently. That's my company. No one knows it better than me. I know how to do everything best. No one will do it as, as good as me. You're right. They might not do it the same as you. They might do it better. And so that's the single, or the, that's the first thing, Lisa, about leadership and about what I look for in people is if they think it's all about them, it's not going to work. If they realize that the strength of the team, right, it's really a servant leadership model. Nobody works for me. I work for all of them. My job as a leader is to hire people smarter than me and then do everything I can for them so that they never want to leave. That's why that, uh, that day that was so educational to me, we sold a company and I was doing a television news interview and, uh, about the sale and the woman was talking about Mr. Hoffman, these are impressive accomplishments, our, our revenue growth and our sales and our margins and our profits. And she said, what are you most proud of as a leader? And I told her that something that my head of HR called me that morning. And she said, Jeff, I, got, I just verified something. I said, what? She said, in all the years since the day you started the company, the day you sold it, not one person that works for you has ever quit. And I said, that's absolutely the coolest thing I've ever done. And I have no idea how I did that. And what it turned out was because I spent time developing everybody around me and not telling them what to do, that they didn't want to work anywhere else because they never felt like they weren't growing or weren't valued or weren't respected. So that's number one, Lisa. You look for people that are going to create other leaders in the organization, not people that say, you only need me. I can do everything myself. None of us can, including everybody on this call. Empathy. That's, that, that's probably the second thing is how are people are listening, right? Our customers, it turned out, loved us because they felt like they were listened to, not told. Employees told me one of the reasons I work, like working here is when you make a big decision, you go, I do these things I call a listening tour. They said, you go talk to 10 people in the company before you speak one word, then you sit down, process 10 inputs, and then you tell us what you what you think might be the best answer. But I learned that over a long period of time. So empathy is the other one. Are they empathetic towards customers if that's where they are? Are they empathetic towards other employees? Do they are they empathetic about human beings just all the way around? So there there's a couple of the things that right away. In fact, let me put it this way. Culture is where, you know, if you want to win, like I said, and surround yourself by people smarter than you, <clears throat> the key to success is not more employees, it's rock stars. 
you're better off taking your money and hiring two expensive rock stars and not seven average people for the same dollars. Conventional wisdom is I could have hired seven people for that. Yep. And you would have had seven levels of average output, but you cannot build greatness on the backs of average. Greatness comes from rock stars and rock stars are expensive. So just hire two of them and not seven people. But rock stars don't work just for a salary because they already know they're going to make money because they're rock stars. They always get paid. They work for a culture. They care about your values. They care what your company does in its community, what you do as a human being, how you treat people and talk to people. So the, the cultural fit is what I hired to. I, I, I'll say one last thing about that. I realized how distinct our culture was when we would bring someone in for an interview. And I would do this thing where they might have six interviews for the day. But I would send them, when they'd come in, I'd have them come in 30 minutes early. I said, oh, you're a little early. Why don't you go down to the break room and grab some coffee? We'll come get you. But actually, I would hand select half a dozen, five or six people that appeared to be casually in the break room having breakfast, but they weren't. They were there on purpose. The interviewee would come in and they'd sit and have coffee with the interviewee. I remember one day, this is after 15, 20 minutes in the break room, before a whole day of interviews was supposed to start. They came out of the room shaking their head. And I said, what? And they said, Jeff, he's just not one of us. We don't even need to interview him. And the next day, it was a Hispanic girl. Her English wasn't even very good. She came in and after the same 20 minutes, everyone's like, she's totally one of us. Just hire her. We'll interview her, but we don't even need to. She's one of us. So my question to you is, what is one of us in your world? What does it mean to be one of us? What does that mean for your family, let alone your company? What does being one of us mean? And when I realized that was a thing and I started defining what it means to be one of us, the best people in the industry all wanted to work at our place because we had a culture and a set of values that, that, they, that were just as important. Of course, their salary and their money is important to them, but they could work anywhere. They're rock stars. They work at the place where they feel the cultural fit. They feel like everybody here is one of us, and that's your job to create that cultural fit within the company. That's how we were able to, I think, find the rock stars that made us successful. It wasn't me. It was me taking care of people that were way smarter than me. I love that you said that. And I also feel like the, what, you know, you talk about rock stars, but some that rock star took a while to get to becoming the rock star. What about all the people who are now transitioning into new positions and build becoming the rock star? And I love that you said fearlessness, like I've not today, but you were talking about fearlessness. Yep. In the so how does someone connect to fearlessness and build becoming a rock star? So I think the answer to that, if you're talking about someone that's working for you, it's your job, right, to raise them into a leader, raise them above your level to help them become a rock star. But if we're talking about you, the people here on this call, I think that the answer to that is mentorship, is finding somebody, finding the, the model. And by the way, I learned a super valuable thing about mentors doesn't matter where you are in your career, how old, how young, or none of that stuff matters. Everybody needs a mentor owns. And I learned a valuable lesson about mentors because the first time I went to find someone, right, I wanted to be a rock star in the travel industry. So what do I need as a mentor? I need somebody that knows the travel industry inside out. That is wrong. Okay. Any, you can teach somebody an industry, but you can't change their DNA. The lesson that I learned is 
a mentor, you don't pick by the industry or the, the domain knowledge. The mentor should be literally this, somebody you want to be like when you grow up. And I don't care how old you are. Hopefully you're never done growing up. Pick someone that you look at and say, I want to be like her. I want to be like him. That is the person because that person is the rock star you want to be at some point. That person, and that's a holistic thing as a human being, not just as a business or money. Who's a person you just want to be like? That is the person that should be your mentor. And that is the person, Lisa, that will help you get there. My, for me, it was a guy named Roger. And, and, and by the way, along the way, one of the, one of the things I wrote down that I learned, one day I wrote down this. I wrote down, we get our advice from proximity, not relevance. You know why I wrote that? You know who's telling you if you're good enough or not good enough? Who's telling you if your idea is good, your business is going to work, or it's a bad idea? The people around you, mom, dad, husband, wife, brother, sister, friends. They have only one criteria for telling you you're not good enough. Proximity. Just because they live in the same house as you doesn't make them right. They love you and they're trying to help you, but quit listening to proximity. And one day I woke up and said, everyone around me has proximity, but nobody has relevance. You know why? Because I don't want to be any of those people. So I asked, who do I, mo- who do I want to model and emulate? And I was like, oh my God, it's this guy named Roger, who I don't know. And so I just started cold emailing the guy. And saying, I want to be like you one day. Is there, how do I possibly talk you into mentoring me? By the way, three months with no reply. And then one day his assistant reached out to me, said, Roger, we'll give you 20 minutes in Starbucks if you promise to never speak to us again the rest of your life. And I was like, I'll take the 20 minutes. Three and a half hours later, he canceled all his appointments after the 20 minutes. And he was my mentor for many, many years because he's the person I want to be like. So I think. Somebody that's been there, done that, the things you want to do, the way you want to do them, that's the person because they already are the rock star. That's the person that can teach you how to get where you're going. Someone's been there. Somebody's done that. Somebody you want to be like, find them and they'll help you make that transformation. doesn't matter where you are today. Everybody started somewhere. I so appreciate hearing that. And a part of why I have been hosting these masterminds is this part of me that says, I was terrified. I was so terrified and I thought if people watch me and they they'll they'll think if she could do it, I could do it. Because the first time I touched a microphone, I literally thought I was and now I've been doing this for a little while and I'm having the time of my life. And I literally I'm like, I want to watch you on stage because one of the things that I love about when you're on stage, it's something different each time. Every time I hear you. Well, that's just because I don't prepare. (laughs) I know, but I love that because it's truly genuine. It's, it's connected conversations. I love that. It's not, you know, on every stage, here's the, how it's going to go. It is in the moment, energy is alive and it is happening. So I know. Thank you. That I am so, I I could spend the rest of the night asking (laughs) questions. I would love to give everyone else an opportunity because we Okay, do- let's do it. But you know, you've said some things that have really resonated with me about leadership and about surrounding yourself with great people. And I remember when I was in high school and there was a I never heard, you know really understood that concept before. And I remember there was a a woman she won the gold medal in the Olympics in 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 Australia in the 1950s and for some reason I cannot remember her name or I was actually trying to look her up. But that resonated with me for a very, very long time. And it always made me 
inspired about trying to get a mentor and then and about culture and places that you work. And I'm I'm a lawyer and I, I work at a firm that, you know, I used to work at a firm that was run by fear and intimidation and nobody wanted mm. to be there and everybody quit. And all the partners, which I was one, was an equity, but all the equity partners at one point left the firm and it's now a dwindling wow. piece of nothing. And now I'm in a place where I'm much That's more appreciative. a piece of something, it sounds yeah, like. <laughs> exactly. And I'm at a place that, that is, that I'm, you know, that I love the culture of where I'm at. And yes, I'm working for other people instead of myself, which I, that's all good. I'll get back to where I wanted to be in that, in that, in that context. But the things that you've said always remind me to inspire myself that when I'm with somebody who I'm maybe, may, may or may not be working with in the future, that I look to them to be, are they somebody that I want to learn from? Like the person, are they one, are they one of us? You know what I mean? And, and I just, you know, I always have to remind myself of that. So thank you for actually reminding me of that and things that I need to literally take care to every day in my life. I need to look at that and take those steps right. in that area of my life. And I appreciate that. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you for sharing that. And I completely agree. You, you should look at that because a lot of times people are listening to or spending time with people. They, that aren't one of us. So why are you doing that? Why are you letting them influence you? And why are you t letting them take your energy? Because you only have so much to burn uh, in this lifetime. So I, I'm, I'm, thank you for sharing that. But it's really important that you're honest with yourself and say, are the people around me people I want to be like? Are they one of us? Otherwise, you have to make the hard decisions and say, I shouldn't be spending time around these people. That's just plain hard to do, but you have to. Thanks, David. Thank you. Atima? Yes. And who are you sitting with? Oh, so this is my son, Bryce. Hello. Uh -huh. Hi, Bryce. <laughs> Bryce is in sixth grade. And so he loves thing about leadership. He's actually a leader himself. And anyway, yeah, one thing that I really, I love that you talked about mentorship. I'm, I have a question for you. Do you believe that throughout mm -hmm. your life, you actually draw in the mentors that you need for that chapter of your life? Because what I've noticed in my life, there's always been people around me that have been mentors that every time I feel like, like I up level, there's someone new that comes into my life. Do you think like there's something to do? Okay. With so I'm going to say, I'm going to say yes and no. The okay. yes part is the universe gives you back the energy you put into it. Correct. The more negative you are, the more negative you attract, you know, the more positive energy you put in the world, the more you focus on, on, you know, on taking, making other people happy. I actually thought it was interesting. I'm, I'm doing a new charity project with, with Shaq, with Shaquille O'Neal. And I don't know if anybody happened to see what I posted the other day, but Shaq and I sat down and talked about it at length. And then he turned to me and he said, let's just go out and make as many people happy as we So that's kind of the example. And, you know, his life has gone really well. You know why? Because he focuses. He actually focuses. The big guy actually focuses on what he can do to make people around him happy. So the universe, so the yes part of your question is the universe gives you back the energy that you give it. And so people show up magically, but it's not magically at all. It's, it's your reward for living right and treating people right. But there is a, a no side to that, which is that you should look for the people, like I said, you should look for the people you want to be like when you grow up and reach out. I just started cold messaging. 
Roger, because I was like, man, if I could only have a little bit of him in my life, I think it would change everything. So there are people out there that you all know that already that you miss 100% of the shots you don't take if you don't reach out to them, right? A friend of mine, Mark Victor Hansen, he's the co-author of All the Chicken Soup for the Soul books. Mark has a new book out now called Just Ask, because so many times people are afraid to ask. When I went, a, a kind of a life-changing trip for me, but at one point in my life, I kind of did a year of yes, where I said I finished being a CEO after I've been a CEO since I was 24. And I took a year off and I told nobody this. I said, for the entire next year, I'm going to say yes to anybody that asked me for help for a year. I just didn't tell anybody that. And I'm just going to, I don't know, I won't make a dime. I won't do business. I don't know where I'm going to be tomorrow. And a young kid in a village in West Africa was the second person to reach out to me. He sent me a note on the TED website after he saw my TED talk. And it said, dear Mr. Hoffman, I know you won't read this. And if you do, I know you won't reply. And I was like, oh, it's on now. (laughs) So I sent this kid. A note? He said, I just need help. I'm struggling in the villages here. They live in huts made of mud with no water or electricity or furniture or beds. Guess where I was about two weeks later in in his village that I showed up out there. And he said, why are you here? I said, because you asked. Did you not? I was like, I just flew 30 hours. I hope you actually meant it. And he said, I did ask. I just can't believe you showed up. And I said, well, there was 0% chance if you hadn't asked me. So Finding people that, that you think could improve your life to have it in that and, and aggressively pursue what you want, I think that's important. So both parts work in your favor. That's so thank awesome. You for the, thank you for the good question. Absolutely. So I'll be reaching out then. <laughs> you know where to find me. I want to touch on that. We had a conversation about you giving out your email address and everybody was like, why would you give out your email address? And you said... What, 400 people would write it well, down? Yeah, it's it's because the other thing I wrote, I'd say, it's not behind me now, but this wall where I write down the things I believe. One of the things I wrote on that wall one day was everybody wants to be successful just until they find out what that takes, right? People are like, oh, you have a cool life. I want your life. And then you, and you're saying, okay, just do the stuff I did. They're like, oh, that sounds like a lot of work. No, thanks. Everybody wants to be successful, and then they find out how hard it is and what you actually have to do, and they're not so interested anymore. So the truth is that the world's most successful people are not smarter than you. They did not have an advantage that you didn't. That's rarely the case. The difference between them and everybody else is that they were the ones that just did it. In fact, I used to, in in one of my talks, I used to talk about a guy I got to know who was a multi-billionaire that was roughly, and I'm going to say this, roughly about as smart as a sixth grader. And so I would never say his name because he's a friend and respect him. But I'm serious. On that TV show, Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader? He would have probably lost. And yet he's a multi-billionaire. You know why? Because while everybody else talks about their dreams, he just went out and built it. Right? And so that's what I was talking about when when somebody said, why would you give your email? I was on a stage with a thousand people. And someone said, tell me your email address. And everybody laughed like they wouldn't give it. And I did. And somebody, the next person said, why would you give your email address on a stage? And I said, because out of a thousand of you, 400 of you wrote it down. 200 of you said, I'm going to email that guy. And maybe three of you actually will. Uh, People don't follow through. People don't get it done. 
I'm going to say it again. The world's most successful people are not smarter than you. They just executed. You know what else was on my wall? I wrote on my door as a CEO one day. Ideas are welcome here, but execution is worship. Everybody talks. Why don't you be the person that actually does it? I used to listen to people pitching me. And it was like, I would think to myself, I wouldn't say this out loud. Oh my God, you could have built and launched this business in the time you spent in my office talking about it. Go build something. So that means that that's what that's, that's what that's all about. Execution I, I is the key to everything. I want to jump in and ask the, the, about the story of the, the, the dry cleaning when you. Oh, well, that, that was back to talent and, and the servant leadership models. That's the one you're talking about. Yeah. Again, if you think that you're the key to success in your business, right. Then, it, you know, I've only ever written one book. It's called scale. And one of the first things that scale says is you can't scale. You can't grow till you get out of the way. You're the reason. You're not the reason the company's going to grow. You're the reason it's not because everything has to run through you and everybody has to get your approval for everything because you don't think anybody could do it as well as you. So given that, I used to write the entrepreneurship art column for Inc. Magazine. And one day they said, write about leadership. And I wrote an article called Hire the Best and Pick Up, then Go Pick Up Their Laundry. It's still out there on eat.com under my name, but I'll, I'll tell you the story. I was on the road and my team called me and they're like, dude, we found this 20 year old whiz kid developer, uh, best developer we've ever seen. I said, you don't need my permission, just hire him. Don't wait for me. So I'm on the road and they hire this 20 year old kid who's just a genius developer. I get back to town. I spend the morning looking at the code he's writing, the product he's designing. At lunch, I go down the hall. I went down the hall and I said, hey, you guys need anything? Well, what I meant was when my employees work through lunch, I buy lunch for everybody who's still working. I don't want them to work through lunch. I don't want them to burn out in my job. I want them to have a life. But if they are working through lunch, then the value of their time is worth way more than the price of the sandwich. I'm amazed at how many people say, well, I can't afford to buy lunch for people. That's just extra expense for the company. I was like, really? You think the value of a rock star engineer for one hour is more or less than the price of a Subway sandwich? It's a bad mistake leaders make. Anyway, I said to the team, I get you guys something. And I meant pizza, Diet Coke, whatever. And the 20-year-old kid did not know who I was. He doesn't know I'm the CEO. He doesn't know I own the company. He has no idea who I am. And the kid turns, looks at me, not knowing who I am, and says, yeah, will you go pick up my dry cleaning? Well, all the air sucked out of the room. All the people were like, ah. and everybody's like, oh, my God, this poor kid just stepped on it. It felt like if somebody had just put their foot down on a landmine and heard that click, nobody moved. And they're all looking at me to see what I was going to say. And I said, sure, where's the ticket? And the kid said, it's on my chair. And he turned back to keep writing code. So a little bit later, I was outside and my two vice presidents come running out. Jeff, Jeff, oh God, I'm so sorry. He doesn't know you're the CEO. He doesn't know who you are. He doesn't know you're the owner. I was like, guys, calm down. What are you so upset? And they said, we don't want you to fire him. And I said, why do you think I'm going to fire him? And they said, because you're so angry. I said, wait, why do you think I'm angry? And they said, because you stormed out of the building after the kid asked you that. I said, I didn't storm out of the building. Uh, and they said, then what are you doing? I said, I'm going to pick up that kid's dry cleaning. And they said, wait, what? You're the CEO and you're picking up a 20-year-old rookie kid's dry cleaning? I said, that kid is the most brilliant designer I've ever seen in my life. 
He is designing a product that's going to take over the industry and triple our revenues. I said, not only am I going to pick up that kid's dry cleaning right now, but if you guys need me when I get back, I'll be outside washing his car. <laughs> that is, that's the story that you are referring to when I realized what my real job was. Your real job is to build the company where the best people in your industry all want to work for you and never want to leave. If you do that, you don't even have to go to work anymore because they will grow the company when you give them the room to do that. That is exactly the story I was going for because <laughs> see everyone's smiles and hearts coming up. It, it really touched my heart when I heard that one because it's brilliant. It's not just heartwarming, it's brilliant. Eleanor, I didn't mean to cut in front of you, but I couldn't help but ask that question. <laughs> it's all fine. And I love it because it's like, it's so inspiring and it puts everything in perspective. And my question was also like, David's back to culture. And I think it's really important. I've gone through the law firm route. I've seen what it looks like. And I'm now in a partnership with another woman providing training. And this just this morning, something really, I found out something very upsetting. We lost one of our contractors, which I thought was because she found another job. And through the grave round, I found out is because my partner really upset her and she left. Mm. So I, I was really sitting with that this morning. I'm trying to figure out what to do with it. I'm listening to you and I'm realizing that, and I, I don't want to blame, you know, cause you're, <laughs> you know, there's, but I, I know that the way she manages is very tough and it's hard for people to process and hear what she's trying to convey and to hear that somebody left my company because of that yes. was like a stab in the heart. And I'm, I'm wondering if you've been in a position where you had to get people on board or aligned with what your vision was and how I could potentially proceed with somebody who may or may not be open to hearing the feedback. Okay. So I'm going to give you the tough love and you're not going to like the answer. Um, you either fix it fast or move on. You are not going to win. You are not going to be able to achieve any of the things we just said with a person that's not open to hearing it and that thinks it's about them. Somebody that's more focused on what she wants to say and the way she wants things, rock stars don't work for people like that. They leave, which is either is going to drag you down and prevent you from rising higher because a team is always, you know, only as strong as its weakest link, right? I mean, that's true for any kind of company. You could have brilliant product designers and financial people and marketing people in a company. And if you have one moron on your customer service team, you lost the contract because they pissed off the customer. They don't ever want to do business with you again. And you're like, wait, everyone else at our company is nice. They don't care, right? Because the person they talked to at your company treated them disrespectfully and they're done with you. So you are really only strong as that weakest leak. So we'd share with you guys a, a quick other story about that. You have to make these decisions swiftly and decisively. And what I mean is people that don't fit your culture and aren't open to it, do not drag them along because everybody sees that, right? Believing is a snowball rolling downhill. Other people say, why did she really leave? Then the rumor starts to spread. Then other people think, well, if she didn't believe in the company and she went somewhere else, who, what am I doing here? That problem doesn't solve itself. You have to remove that problem at the source. And I realized that's tough. So the, uh, I had a guy, one of our values at our company and our values, our culture is written on the walls. So you can see it every day. 
And one of the values was we treat all human beings with the same level of dignity and respect, right? And not only do people have to know your values, but you have to be, live them and you have to be willing to make hard decisions uh, when they don't or you lose credibility. People say, this company says all that crap and they don't care. They allow people to treat us like that and they allow people to behave that way. And the bet, the rock stars, the average people will stay because average people follow the path of least resistance. The rock stars will not work there. They will not tolerate that because guess what, Eleanor, they don't have to. Everybody wants them to work there. So I called in, we had that value on the wall and I overheard my best sales guy, Paul, say to our receptionist, get me coffee. And I called him in and I said, we don't talk to anybody like that. And he said, oh my God, really? I'm being scolded because I didn't properly address the receptionist. I said, first of all, there's no one that works here named the receptionist. I said, if you don't know her name, you better find out fast because we don't talk to people that way. He rolled his eyes and left. Nothing changed. Shortly thereafter, I called him in and said, he said, hey man, what's up? I said, you have a third, this is your 30 day notice. You're out of here. He said, Jeff, I outsell every person in this company three to one. No way in hell can you fire me. I said, you have 30 days to stop tr talking to people the way you do because we don't accept that here. And he laughed, literally stood up and laughed. He's like, no way would this company remove me. I'm the best performer in the company. 30 days later, I called him in and I said, it's Friday. You can clean out your office and not come back Monday. He started laughing and he said, what did you really need me for? I said, you're fired. I told you we're not tolerating that here. That is not one of us. It's not what we do. He said, no way can you afford to hire me. I outsell everybody in this company three to one. I said, that's true, Paul. And I have to apologize to Bryce for using this language. I said, that's true, Paul, but you also out asshole everybody 10 to 1. I said, you can pack your stuff. Today's your last day. I went to the, called everybody in and I said, I just fired Paul. There was a big sigh. I said, this is going to hurt. This is going to hurt the company. We are going to go backwards without him. We are going to have to cut back on expenses and survive this. I might have to hire two people to fill the gap. This is going to hurt, but I did it anyway. You know what happened, Eleanor? A few months later, I hadn't hired the people yet. I was too busy and sales went up. And I said, why are sales up? And they said, because the energy level of the entire company changed the day he walked out the door. Our productivity is higher now. You don't realize how much that was changing the energy of the building, having somebody in here like that. We all knew it, but we were afraid to say something because he was. we all thought he was your favorite employee because he was the best performer. If you can't be swift and decisive in management. And sometimes people tell me this story and they say, but Jeff, I work for that person. It's my boss. And I tell them the same thing every time, go work somewhere else. You will not rise to greatness working with people like that. It really is. The solution might be complicated, but the truth is really simple here. You can't, you can't, you just can't. Yeah, because this is a partnership. So it's not dissolved. We're talking about like dissolving a partnership or closing a business down. So I mean, and I hear you. I guess it is. I understand exactly. It's hard. It's, yeah. it's hard. But you know what else is hard, Eleanor? Winning. Nah. Being great at things, achieving excellence. All those things are hard. And so that's what I said earlier. A lot of times people want to be a, a winner, a champion, or whatever. They just don't want to do the hard stuff. Right. And, and so they just never get there. And when they look back, they're like, man, I probably should have done that way back then. So I know it's hard, but you asked. I answered. <laughs> No, no, no. I, 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 how to feel about what you're going to say. And I just, you know, it's interesting. I, I'll have to find a way to bring it up and let the chips fall where they may. You know, I was very, yeah, I, you know, 
Yeah. You should, you should be upset. That's not okay. And, you know, I did have a long, more than one long conversation with Paul. I didn't just terminate it. Mm-hmm. I tried. So once you've tried your hardest, you know in your heart that person is either going to change or not. And when you know in your heart they're not, why are you dragging this out? Why are you kidding yourself? Start making plan B in your life. Thank you for your honesty. Appreciate it. <laughs> sure. Somebody else have a question? I saw Lauren's hand up. Derek. Hello. Hey. I hope you look better. Hi, Lauren. Oh. We can hear you. I, can you hear me? Okay. Yeah. We see um, yeah. Thanks, Jeff, for your time. And definitely your what you were just sharing, your your actions and your values are very noble and really amazing. I have my own personal story. I was maybe gone 48 years, never experienced being a one of us and has never and I ended up renouncing the world at some point and lived as a yogi monk for 15 years. To find some values that were aligned because I didn't get the validation loops of wins in the world in any sense. And, and then at the, at the end of that, even that was becoming something that was like not integrated. It was very good for many years. And then I'm coming back and being coming a therapist, but I'm curious in finding mentors and living with unique, like my values are transcendent. My values are relational. I've never had the motivations to achieve in the world just because I never got those validation loops. I'd never got those wins. And so then I moved towards more spiritual, more representing transcendent relational values that are more about human to human, which I highly respect you're your representing. And I, I'm, I'm curious how you bridge the gap like, I, I, and I, I don't know because you're coming from the other side of the spectrum, but how I'm, I'm, I'm in this process of integration of where do I find my place in that? I know what my values are and I have integrity with them. They're very strong. And how do, how do, like, yeah, how to find that place of, so, you know, you touch one uh, person's life. Yeah. Lauren, that's a really good question. The, and by the way, I want to say something before I, I answer that which is do not use anybody else's definition of success, right? We were born with this stupid definition that success is a combination of one of two, three things, money, power, fame. When somebody's rich and they drive by in their Bentley, you say, well, he made it. When someone's famous and you see her on TV, you say, well, she made it. Meanwhile, I literally have billionaire friends who are miserable and very famous friends who are miserable. Stop buying into society's definition. Don't be the richest or the most famous person. Be the happiest and most fulfilled. I know a lot of miserable people that are, quote, successful. So don't buy into that anymore. And especially when we get to people like Bryce and young people, be impressed by impact. Don't be impressed by money and fame. Be impressed by people that are actually making a difference in the world and changing it. And so I just don't want you to to look at that spectrum, quit letting people validate the spectrum. Make your own. If you're happy and you're maybe way happier than them, it's just we live in the social media world where everybody's life is perfect because that's what they're supposed to post. And in fact, it's not at all. But I don't even have the value for happiness. Like I have a different, like, yeah. Okay. But that, that then assumes the core assumption that you're alone and you're not. The point is, those people are out there and you have to find them. 
So my second part, my actual answer to your question is life doesn't happen on the couch at home. Life doesn't happen sitting in your office. Life happens the more, sometimes one time someone said, man, you, you know, some comment about my life. You're so lucky. I said, I'm not lucky. I'm engaged. This wasn't luck. What this was, was that I've spent my whole life going everywhere, doing everything and meeting everyone as much as I could. I'm not telling you to be irresponsible. What I'm telling you is the more places you go, the more random, spontaneous things you do, the more people you meet, the more likely you are to find your tribe. They're out there, but they're not necessarily, you're not just going to bump into them. You might have serendipity, you might get lucky, but I'll tell you what, you can accelerate the process a hell of a lot more by getting out and getting engaged in the world. So some of the most amazing things that have happened to me in my life happened by accident because I was out in one place trying to do one thing and some unexpected result happened and I wound up meeting somebody I wasn't supposed to meet, things like that. So some of the, the best moments in my life happened because I was coloring outside of the lines, not coloring inside of them. So be engaged, get out, go places. Sometimes when people say, hey, you want to go to this? And you're like, I have zero interest in that. No, thanks. Every once in a while, I would say, what the hell? I'll just go. And they're like, dude, you're not interested in blank. And I was like, I don't, you're right. I'm not. But let's just see what happens. You have to be out there. You have to put yourself out. You have to meet strangers. You have to go to places that people are like, what are you doing here? And you're like, I don't know either. But I guess we'll find out. The more engaged you are in the world around you, the more likely you are to find. And you can't really look for it, Lauren. This is what I believe. You just find it. it. It's sort of like people that say, I'm looking for the love of my life. Well, then you already have blinders on and you already have all these filters in your head. That person, you'll find them. They're out there, but you can't force it. So that, that's my, yeah, at least thank my you. answer I, to your I, question. Get it. I missed, I missed New York for that. You can just walk out your door and yeah. meet people. LA is a little bit That's, more challenging in that regard. You, you are 100% right. That is that is the beauty of it. But there's nothing that stops you every once in a while from going there and spending a few days out, out and yeah. about and meeting Definitely. people. Jeff, is that the one you used to, you call kinetic, kinetic collision? Yeah. So the, the I, I just, you have this term that I call these kinetic collisions. And kinetic collisions are the energy that's released when two people whose lives would never cross in their daily life bump into each other. I'll tell you a super fast one. I was in a restaurant and I talked to strangers everywhere. And I was in a restaurant in New York and I was with some business guys and I was, they dropped me off to go in and they went to the car and another a group of four older ladies did the same thing. And they dropped one of them off and I was ahead of her, but I looked back and saw it was an older woman. So I held the door open for her. So she walked past me and she went up to the counter and the guy said, who's next? And I said, actually, I'm next, but because I was polite, I'm being punished for it. And the little old lady said, what? And I said, well, because I'm polite, you're ahead of me. And actually, I got here ahead of you. And she said, geez. And I, I said, go ahead. You're ahead of me. Just do your thing. And the, the restaurant guy was looking at me. And then I winked at the woman and she smiled back. And she said, look, what is your problem? And I said, what is your problem? Because you better tone it down. And she said, do you want to take this outside? I said, I do. But by then, my friends had come in and her friends had come in and everybody was stepping between us. And they were calling security. And I said, you better say goodbye to your friends because this is the last time you're ever going to say goodbye to anyone. And people were yelling for security. And she was like, people were holding me back and she was pretending she was going to come at me. And then finally, someone said, are you too serious? And we both burst out laughing and they seated them 
and they seated us. Actually, our table did come up first. And my friends were like, what do you know her from? I said, I don't know that woman. And they're like, why were you talking to her? I was like, why not? That was the best part of my entire day right there, that interaction. Just what, here's what happened. On the, they came to the table and they wound up sitting the table next to us and she was back to back with me. And I turned around and I said, if you even bump me, it'll be the last thing you remember doing today. She burst out laughing on the way out of the restaurant. She gets up and she walks over and she leans over. And this is an old woman. And she puts her hand on my chest. She rubs my chest and she has a piece of paper. And she says, this is my phone number, baby. Call me sometime. And she puts it in my pocket and walks off. We were laughing hysterically. I call this woman and I tell her that was so much fun. And she said, next time in New York, let me buy you coffee. We became really good friends. And I would see you whenever I was in New York. One day, I said, we're launching this new thing called Priceline.com. And we're trying to get some coverage for it. I'm just telling you what I was up to. And she said, I'll try to get my son to talk about it. I said, what does your son do? And she said, he does a thing on TV. At that moment, I looked back down at the note she had slipped me way back when, which I still had. Her last name, Betty Lauer, her last name was Lauer. Her son's name was Matt Lauer. And he was the host of the Today Show. And the next day, Matt came on and goes, I got to tell you guys this story. My mom has this friend that's half her age, and he's building this company. We got like seven minutes of national television coverage on the Today Show from Matt Lauer because I harassed his mom in a restaurant. You never know what happens in the universe until you are engaged. And I know we're running out of time, but I just wanted to share that with you guys because some of my favorite moments were never planned. I love that story. <laughs> we have time for one more if there is one more. Uh, yeah. Hey, I'm, I'm Kevin Owens. I'm up in Washington. Uh, so I got a couple questions for, for you. One of them, you were just talking about Priceline. Can you talk a little bit about your experience working with and scaling companies, you know, as a member in the founding team at, at Priceline.com? Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, you know, I'll tell you what we'll do because that's a whole workshop. I, I will, I will it, it is, because it took a lot of years to, to, to learn everything that we learned looking backwards on how to scale, right? These companies became uh, multi-billion dollar global companies. And it's because after all the mistakes we made, we did some things right. So I'll tell you what, Luis, I'll talk to you about this separately, but maybe we'll put together a special offer just for your audience here. The way I normally do that, Kevin, is we all gather in one city for, for a, a full day. Uh, and it's about a seven module workshop that explains, here's all the things you need to do if you want to grow a business. It's, I literally call it explosive growth. So I'm happy to share that, but it takes at least a full day. And so I'll talk to Luisa about that. It's just too long of an answer. See, I, I asked the, the zinger question. Okay, well, then, then how about something a little bit easier, since I guess this is the final question of the night. What do you see as the biggest opportunities and challenges facing entrepreneurs in the coming years, and how can they prepare for them? I think we hit it big time, which was talent. In COVID, a lot of people don't want to work in an office, and they don't want to work for you per se anymore. So you have to be far more creative in getting talent to be part of you, part of your team, part of your project. And then this Gen Z, this next generation of talent, 
they don't care about titles and they care about salary, but they care about salary so that at the end of the year, they're going to, they're taking the next three months off to go backpacking in Peru and they'll be back in three months and you can't get mad. You can't fire them because they will be back because they'll need money again. It's a whole different workforce with the Gen Z workforce. They care about impact. They care about experience. They care about growth. They don't care about titles and they care about money because they have to, but they're not obsessed with how much they make. They want to be paid for their value. And then you add a virtual world that's new to all of us, a lot more people working remotely. I think finding talent and retaining them, talent acquisition and retention is going to be the hardest problem we're all going to face going forward. Who's ever the most creative at that will get all the rock stars. People that comprehend their lives and the way they want to live and work with them, not tell them what to do like we were used to being told in the olden days. Well, thank you guys so much. Really enjoyed spending some time. Jeff, can I take two seconds and introduce you to my son? Connor, will you please just say hello? Where is Connor? Hey, Jeff. Connor is down at the bottom. Oh, now I see. Hi, Connor. How are you? Pretty good. How about yourself? Wait, I can't see. I can't see what hat you're wearing. Let's see. What hat are you wearing, Connor? Oh, it's the Italia Deli where he works and makes sandwiches. Oh, okay. So I've got to tell you, this kid gets a job a month into working. This is what he says to me. I don't know about trading time for money. Yeah. Right. <laughs> that's exactly right. Because that's the formula that makes no sense to them. Yeah. Right. It, 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 it's, it's not an interesting life. It's all you're doing is trading your time for money. If, or somebody like Connor, he is growing, he is learning, he is experiencing, he's part of something, that's all fine. The money's a bonus, but he has a fulfilling life, right? You know, when I grew up, everybody was telling me that I should get a good job at a good company and get a good salary. But you know what? No one ever asked me if I had a good life. If I was fulfilled, they just asked me if I had a good job and a good salary. That was never a good life. I only worked my corporate job for a couple of years and I walked out because I actually hated my job every day of my life. And I was broke and unemployed. And, but I was like, you know what? I'd rather be broke and have a shot at happiness than locked into this cubicle and miserable for a long, I was just in the wrong place, right? I'm not saying, I'm not judging any kind of company. I'm just saying the one that I was at, I could not see what Connor said. I was like, this is it. This is life. This is why I honked at the car in front of me so I could get to this quicker today. I should have let every car in the city get in front of me on the way to work today because this is not a formula that, that makes any sense to me. And it wasn't until I completely flipped that up, which is why I became an entrepreneur. Because everyone said, that's the way the world works. I said, then I'll go work in some other world. You guys can have yours. And I, instead of working for companies that I hated and complaining about them, I said, I'm just going to go build the company I wish I worked at. Which example of that? Somebody said to me, how much vacation do you get working for you, Jeff? I said, unlimited. Like, what do you mean unlimited? I said, I don't count vacation. And they said, how do you not count vacation? I said, because I just measure results. If you're not getting any of your work done, you're fired anyway. So I don't care where you are. And if you're getting your work done and you're crushing it and you tell me you want to go to the beach Friday, I really don't care because you're a rock star and your work is amazing. So vacation's unlimited because... Just the concept of counting vacation days and warning employees that they're near their end, it's already a cultural problem. Employees, you should hire the kind of people that want to crush it, want to be motivated. And if they tell you they need a weekend off or they're taking a few days off, 
the trust is so high that I say, great, I'll see you Monday. I don't even ask a question because I trust these people to make good decisions. If you don't trust them and you need policies to keep them under control, you got the wrong. Connor's right. The formula, you have to appeal to people like him with a whole different proposition, not a job and a salary where he's trading hours for money and doesn't feel fulfilled. That's, that's the, the challenge of the future that we all have to face, but it's a fun one. Jeff, is it okay if we ask Connor if he has a question for you? Yeah, sure. I'll hang another minute. Connor? I mean, I have a pretty common <clears throat> question. I'm sure a lot of people have struggled with this. I'm sure I'll find it eventually. It's kind of, you kind of just can't answer it right away, but it's really hard to figure out what you want to do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Two answers to that. One, try stuff. And if you don't like it, quit. Which, by the way, no parent will tell you that. You know what they all told me? People talked about, oh, man, you can't be a quitter. And I was like, really? You think it's better to spend 17 years at a job you hate? And then instead of having the sense to say, nope, say it, and walking out at the end of the first year, come on. But conventional wisdom is people would say to me, if I, if I moved on from something, you're a quitter. And I was like, no, I'm a person in search of fulfillment and happiness. You can stay there. And you can say, look, I didn't quit. I'm miserable, but at least I didn't quit. It's silly. So the answer, Connor, is try stuff. Um, and two things, not only try stuff, and if you fail and don't like it, deselection for all of you, deselection is an important process in your life, whether it's people or jobs. When you hit something and you say, okay, that's not for me, that's an important decision. It's just as important as the things you say are for you as being able to cross things off the list so you never have to try them again. And second, don't believe. Here's the hard part. When people graduate college, you're like, okay, make a decision. Pick a major. You're an engineer. You're a lawyer, whatever. I always tell people, I am not an engineer. I'm just a human being that learned engineering. You're actually not a lawyer. You're a person that learned law by the same token, why can't you learn something else if you decide you want to later? That is not what the world will tell you, Connor. So here's what happened to me. I'm a software engineer. And I took a break post Priceline. And I said, I'm going to start a music company. And everyone said, you can't. I said, why? They said, you're a software engineer. You're not a musician. And I was like, oh, my God, why are you letting the world put all these walls around you? You're not an accountant, a lawyer, a doctor. That's just what you're doing now because you're a good learner and you learn that thing. But why can't you apply that to something else? So everybody told me, it's not going to work. You're an engineer. Stay in your lane. And so I took a break from engineering and started a music company. And it was interesting <clears throat> because uh, later, when I, you're too young to know these, but we were doing pop tours, my music company, we were producing tours. And I was on tour with NSYNC and Justin Timberlake. And I went on tour with Britney Spears and Elton John. And we did a Beyonce. And guess what all my friends wanted? Tickets. Do the show that'll never happen because I'm an engineer. I can't start a music company. And it ended even crazier that we produced an album. We produced our own music. And one day I found myself in Hollywood on the red carpet at the Grammys and won a Grammy. And I'm standing on the Grammy red carpet with all the paparazzi. And it's an insane moment. And somebody said, how do you feel right now? And I said, this is the dream of software engineers everywhere. And everyone's like, what? And I said, forget it. Talking to myself. Because everybody on the planet said, you can't do that. I said, the same way I learned software, why can't I apply my, my enthusiasm and my learning ability to a whole new industry? And why can't I go learn music the same way I learned software? And we wound up 
having a wonderful time. Recently, we did that with TV. I said, I'm going I'm to get in the TV biz and we produce TV shows. And I actually last year won my second Emmy Award, which you're not allowed to win if you're a software engineer, apparently. So try things, fail, find out what you like. Don't listen to everybody telling you what you should be. Don't listen to people telling you not to quit. If it's not working, move on. Life is short. Until you, you will eventually find something that you say, man, I love this. And you'll do it a lot of years. I did tech for a lot of years before I did music and film and, and television. Now we're doing stuff in sports, right? All of a sudden now that a whole new career, we just, I, Luisa knows, I just failed trying to buy the Denver Broncos, but I was in a whole new industry. I spent months and months learning the business of sports to the point where we were that close to buying an NFL team. And I was like, what am I doing here? I'm supposed to be a software engineer staying in my cubicle. Don't listen to any of that. Go out and try stuff and you'll find things you like. And after a while, if you get tired of it, go do something else. Or there are the rules people keep telling you, or at least they told me they don't exist. People accept those rules because it makes them feel better. Then they don't have to try. All right. I really got to run. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jeff. Thanks, guys. Please stay on because I want to give you guys an offer of something very special. Jeff, thank you, Jeff. All right, bye-bye.